Well, how many of you love the Word of God tonight? Do you? Well, turn to Philippians chapter 4 with me, and I want to share with you. And again, I want to uh, say a big uh, thank you to all of you who are here tonight. I know it's a very busy time of the year, and um, I'm excited about this Sunday. You know, our Sundays have just been so... Uh, we had no idea we, we would be dealing with the crowds we're already dealing with. Um, we had, we're having to deal with parking, new parking. I thought we would have a couple of months to sort of get used to it. We don't. We're having to do a lot. But that's a great problem to have. And uh, so we're excited about what he's doing. I want to talk to you tonight about something that matters more than you might think in your walk with God. And that is contentment. Can you say with me contentment? Uh, turn to your neighbor and tell him, be content. What is that old song said, don't worry, be happy? Well, contentment is a supernatural thing. Contentment is supernatural. And uh, let's stand together and we're going to read these verses up here. And this is Philippians 4, 11 through 13. And uh, I think I pulled this out of, I don't know what version, but it's a good one. And I'd like you to read it with me. And the reason I'm putting these up here, I want you to see the word with me and read the word with me. And uh, my desire for you is that you fall in love with God's Word. Fall in love with His Word because you love the God of the Word. Amen? So here's, let's read it together. I am not saying this because I am in need, for I have learned to be content whatever the circumstances. I know what it is to be in need, and I know what it is to have plenty. I have learned the secret. Turn to your neighbor and say secret. See, this is a secret. Not everybody knows this. Not everybody knows what we're going to learn tonight. It's a secret. I've learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, living in plenty or in want. I can do everything through him who gives me strength. Let me ask you a question. How many of you have ever quoted the end of that verse right there, I can do everything through him who strengthens me. How many have ever quoted that? In any and all situations and circumstances, you've quoted that. But have you ever realized that that verse has to do with God empowering you to be content? That's the context of the verse. God empowering you. Jesus making you able to be content in any situation you're in. All right, Father, thank you for your word tonight. Bless it to our hearts in the mighty name of Jesus Christ. Open our understanding and help us, Lord, to practice the art of contentment in Jesus' name. Amen. Turn to your neighbor again and say, be content. Be content. Now, in these verses... A word is used that is, um, I think, slipping out of America's grasp like sand through the fingers. For the lack of contentment, our land has become miserable, whiny, tranquilizer, addicted, and I think downright mean. How many of you have run across mean lately? Amen. We live in a mean culture, don't we? People are, are ornery and mean. They're mean. And uh, I preached a message once that I called, Quit Your Meanness. 
and I was talking to Christians. It's easy in our culture to be mean, but God doesn't want us to be this way. Now, let me just uh, talk to you about contentment. The, the, the word contentment is a powerful word. It means to be satisfied. I guess you all remember Mick Jagger singing about, no, it wasn't Mick. Yeah, it was. No. Whoever it was, I can't get no satisfaction. I'm so glad I have forgotten that. And I've tried and I've tried and I've tried, but I can't get no satisfaction. (laughs) Some of y'all were starting to go with me there. I wish you could have seen you. It means to defend or to ward off as well. The Greek word we get contentment from means to defend or to ward off. So when you have contentment, it is a part of your armor, your spiritual protection in God. Because contentment will defend you. It will ward off the destroyers of unhappiness, self-pity, depression, despair, and a host of other emotional afflictions that Americans are dealing with all the time. I can't tell you what a demon discontent is. Discontent is like acid in your soul. Discontent will move you to sin. Discontent will turn you into a complainer and a grumbler and a murmurer, and it will cause you to lose the blessing of God. Discontent. It was discontentment that buried the first generation delivered from Egypt who died in the wilderness. And why did they die? Why didn't they make it over? Because they were discontent, always grumbling, always complaining, always murmuring about what they wanted and did not have. So contentment is a protective shield around us. There is a reason we need to practice contentment. Contentment says, I'm satisfied. I'm satisfied. I have enough. I have enough. It is the foundation stone, believe it or not, contentment, it's the foundation stone of happiness. There's no happiness. You cannot be happy if you're discontent. There's no way. You can't be happy. Happiness is going to elude you as long as you're discontent. Now, I'm going to tell you a secret. Are you ready? If you will do what we're going to look at tonight, if you'll practice it, because it's going to take practice. I wish it were a gift, but it's not a gift. Gifts are sown, fruit is grown, and contentment is a fruit. I wish it were sown. I wish I could just get anointed with it and have it the rest of my life, but I'm going to have to work for it. I'm going to have to plan on cultivating it. If I don't, I'm never going to have it. If you will walk in it, if you'll walk in what we're going to share tonight, you're going to be happier. You're going to be excited. You're going to have far greater peace. You're going to be happier with life all the way around. You discover the, the good life, the rich, fulfilling life, the abundant life Jesus talked about, the life that really satisfies When you stop constantly wanting what you don't have. And in America, we're eat up with that. It's a plague. We're always competing with the Joneses. Always got to have what they have. 
or better than they have. We don't like somebody having something nicer than us. We're always looking at our neighbors and feeling like we've got to measure up. That's a dangerous thing. America's worst disease is the constant suggestion to you and to me through television, billboards, newspaper ads, radio, everything from every direction. We are bombarded with this one message. You do not have enough. You don't have enough. The man never earns enough. The house is never big enough. The car is never new enough. The job is never good enough. The clothes are never fine enough. Your life is not complete without this or without that. You just don't have it going on if you don't have this or that. And we are we're bombarded by the mass media with this constant message that you've got to have this or you're not complete or you're not fulfilled or you're not up to speed. We're in an advertising culture that eats away. I've gotten to where I don't even like the TV anymore. I just turn it off. And I want to say the older I get, the more I like my eight-year-old Honda that's paid for. Amen? My friend Tony here, he drives a Mercedes around. Uh, he's, a, he's, a, he's a pilot, but he drives an old Mercedes around. You can hear him coming before you see him. Because it's got one of these old diesel engines. And when I meet him to play tennis or something, I, I don't look for his car. I listen for his car. And here he comes, that old diesel engine. But I know why he's driving it. It's paid for. And that's sweet. <laughs> now, let me just uh, share with you three crucial things about contentment. And I want you to listen carefully to this. I'm pulling this straight out of the Word of God. Listen carefully. Paul said, I've learned in whatever state I'm in, to be content. So I'm content in Texas or in Arkansas or Oklahoma. I'm sorry, I couldn't resist. He said, whatever state I'm in. Pray about it. You'll get it tomorrow. Whatever condition, whatever my circumstances are, I've learned. I've learned. Can everybody say with me, I've learned. So it didn't come natural. It didn't come natural to him. This was not a natural gift. It was something he had to learn because he was constantly on a roller coaster of circumstances. His life changed from day to day. He had to learn the fine art of cultivating contentment or go crazy. Never live in a state of peace. Now, I hear something in his work. Let me read it again. I've learned in whatever state I'm in, whatever condition, whatever circumstances, I've learned I've learned through trial and error to be content. Paul was a man of big dreams. All you got to do is look at his biography in the Bible. Man of big dreams, big goals, big vision, big calling. He had the world at his doorstep. There were places he wanted to go, things he wanted to do, people he wanted to preach to. And yet I have found in, re, in studying the, the writings of Paul that he, was, he often said to churches, I've wanted to come to you, I've wanted to come, I've wanted to visit you, I've wanted to see you, but I couldn't. The devil hindered me, the devil hindered me, the devil hindered me. I've wanted to come to you for so long, but I haven't been able to get there yet. I'm shut up in this prison cell. 
circumstances have not allowed me to get to you. I want to, but I haven't been able to yet. And you hear this desire in Paul, things he wanted to do, but he could not do them. Now, do you think he sat around feeling vexed and experiencing no peace and being troubled all of his life? No. He said, even when I'm wanting to get to somebody and can't get to them, I've still learned even then to practice contentment. I practice contentment when I don't have enough money. I practice contentment when my job is not what I wish it were. I practice contentment when things go wrong. I practice contentment when I thought this was going to happen and that happened instead. I practice contentment when it seems like nothing is going my way. I practice contentment in the good times and in the bad times. It is my goal not to have everything go right, but no matter how things go, it's my goal to be content. Oh, that's important, y'all. God never promised perfect circumstances. But here's what he did say. Through Christ, you can experience contentment. No matter what's going on around you. Oh, that's important. That's important. You know, I've learned this about life. Uh, Life is a journey. Is it not? It's a journey. And let me give you a little illustration here. Anybody with a plane ticket, uh, anybody with a plane ticket in their hand, you're going somewhere, uh, has three pictures in their mind. They have three pictures, whether they're aware of it or not. And here's the pictures, the departure, the journey, and the arrival. Those three things are going through your mind. Now, I don't like to fly, and you know that. So believe me, when I'm going to fly, all three of these things are going through my mind. The departure, am I going to stay on that jet? The journey, where I hope that uh, uh, I'm knocked out or something, and the arrival. Thank God I made it. <laughs> but, but when you've got a plane ticket, these are the things that are in your mind. You've got our minds are visual creations. They envision things. God wired us this way. We've got to be able to look towards a future. And so we think and we imagine where we're going to be a year from now. What's going to happen tomorrow? What's going to happen at Christmas? We have pictures in our minds all the time. And so you've got this departure, you've got the journey, and you've got the arrival. And life is made up of those very things. Life is a series of departures, a series of journeys, and a series of arrivals. Let me show you. We depart kindergarten and we go into elementary school. We journey through the summer, and we arrive at junior high. We depart junior high, go through the summer, and arrive at high school. We depart high school, journey through the summer, and hopefully, at least a lot of people, some people, sometimes you don't have to, but you arrive at college. And believe me, when you're in college, you've got the picture in your mind of the day that you are going to walk across that stage and graduate. And that makes you study when you study. It makes you keep going. What keeps you going through four, six, eight years of college? You're picturing something in your mind that you're going to arrive at when you finish the journey. See, we, we, life is a departure, a journey, And an arrival. And it's a whole bunch of them. And of course, the ultimate, we're born, we journey through life, and we die. And we go to heaven. 
Now, in all of these, the journey always lasts the longest. Can everybody agree with me there? The departure doesn't take long. The arrival doesn't take long. But it's that journey that is the longest aspect of the three. All right? Now, follow me with this. Here's what I hear Paul saying. He's saying, I've learned to enjoy and be content with the journey. And I'm going to enjoy the journey because that's what most of life consists of, the journey. You know, we got this building. And as soon as we got the building, we had departed. That is, we departed in our process of renovating it, getting it ready. And let me tell you something. The departure wasn't near as long as the journey. And the journey's not over yet. And right when we think we arrive, we're going to find out it's time for another departure. And we're going to have to start building something else. And there's going to be another journey. And then there will be another arrival. You know what this building and this church is going to be? A series of departures, journey, arrival. Departure, journey, arrival. Now, if all we enjoy is the arrival, we can wrap up the arrivals in a day or two. But we're going to look at years of journey. Paul is saying, if you practice contentment, you will learn the key of enjoying the journey. Not just the departure, which is always exciting, or the arrival, which is even more exciting. But you know how long it took me to walk across the stage when I got my degree? One minute. Thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you. It's all over. I walked off and looked at that thing and said, it's over. But you know how long the journey took? Ten years. Ten years of journey for one minute of arrival? They should have at least had a hamburger up there for me and a Coke and some fellowship and let's just sit here on the stage for a while and let me soak it up. (laughs) But no, it's not what happened. So see, here's what the Bible is telling you and me. God wants us to to, to learn to enjoy the journey because the journey is what most of life is comprised of. And you're not going to enjoy it unless you can learn to be content. Y'all with me? He's saying Jesus is not just Lord of the departure and Lord of the arrival. He's Lord of and in and through the journey. All of you here tonight, you're journeying from point A to paint point B, every one of you in here, you're in a journey somewhere in your life. And let me ask you a question. Are you enjoying it? Are you content? Are you practicing the presence of God? Are you walking with Jesus? Are you soaking it up? Are you smelling the flowers? Are you enjoying the journey? Because if you're not, can I give you a little, little secret? You're not going to enjoy the arrival. If you can't learn to enjoy the journey, you're not going to enjoy the arrival. You know what I've noticed about people? People who grumble and complain during the journey grumble and complain when they arrive. (laughs) Are y'all there? The Bible is telling us he's right there to infuse into your being peace and joy and contentment and happiness on the journey. Amen. Now here's where we miss it. We miss it when we believe this. We miss the enjoyment of the journey when we believe this. My happiness and my contentment depend on the success of my arrival 
And that's what's going to make me happy. Now, here's the trap we fall into. We believe that whatever journey we're in and whatever goal we're walking towards, that when we arrive at the goal, that goal is what's going to make us happy. But I want to tell you something. Here's the secret of contentment. You ought to learn contentment and joy on the same level that you're going to have when you arrive at your arrival. In other words, if you're putting all your eggs in the basket of your arrival and you're not happy, joyful, or content on the way to your arrival, you're not going to be happy, joyful, and content when you arrive. Well, based on that great big amen, I think you don't believe me. So let me just go on a little bit here. <laughs> if I reach that goal, if I find the right mate, here's what we say to my, ourselves. If I reach that goal, if I find the right mate, if I land the right job, when I buy that dream home, when I make X amount of money, when I'm driving that particular car, then I will be happy and then I will be content. Until then, it's misery all the way through the journey to the arrival. And you know what you find out? If you didn't practice contentment and joy on the way, you're not going to be happy when you arrive. Because listen, happiness does not come from a happening. Happiness comes from within. Happiness is an inside job. And I've learned something. Listen, I've had a lot of arrivals, a lot of departures and a lot of arrivals. And I've learned when I'm getting there, I'm going to practice contentment. I'm going to practice joy. I'm going to practice the presence of God. I'm going to laugh. I'm going to joke around. I'm going to enjoy life because I know that there is no magic wand at the arrival gate. I know this is true because I can point to uh, so many people. We read about them all the time, the celebrities who have the multi-million dollar homes. They went off and chased the Hollywood dream, wanted to be an actor or an actress. And very few of them, that rare percentile that reached that place where they make millions of dollars for a movie, they get in those great big giant mansions. They marry Mr. or Mrs. Dream person. And they get in there and fame and fortune and all that success. And then they end up divorcing. They end up murdering. They end up miserable. They end up on drugs. They end up alcoholics. What is wrong? When they got there, they found that happiness does not come from a happening. If you don't enjoy the journey, you're not going to enjoy the arrival. It's just a fact of life. The Bible says, he that has a merry heart has a continual feast. Amen. That means at the departure, if I've got a merry heart, I'm enjoying life. All the way through the journey, if I've got a merry heart, I'm rejoicing in the Lord. He is my strength. I'm living in the Word. I'm walking in His love. I'm practicing His presence. I'm enjoying the fellowship of the saints. I'm, in, I'm enjoying prayer. I'm, I'm learning to be content. I'm praising Him every day. Whether or not I've arrived, I'm praising Him, rejoicing in Him. If I keep that attitude, I have a continual feast. I have a continual feast. Somebody said, happiness is not a state to arrive at, but it's a method of traveling. 
I like that. I've never seen a successful arrival ever make an unhappy person happy. I've never seen somebody get that degree who was unhappy before be happy after. I've never seen somebody get that very expensive car and be happy after if they weren't happy before. I've never seen an arrival make an unhappy person happy. Because happiness is an inside job. And if you want to be happy every day, you're going to have to go for it. You're going to have to plan time with God. You're going to have to plan for it. Smile at me and be happy. Turn to your neighbor and say, I'm happy, I'm happy. The second thing I hear Paul saying here, God does not guarantee easy sailing. Can I just be honest with you tonight? I don't care what you name or claim or blab or grab. God does not promise easy sailing. He doesn't do it. But he does guarantee, guarantee his presence. You know how I know that? Because Paul said, on my journey... There have been times that I was abased. And in my journey, there are times that I abounded. Now, don't tell me that when he abased, it was because he had a bad confession. Uh Uh-uh. He's walking with the same Jesus when he was abased, walking with the same Jesus when he abounded. He found that life deals different cards. You never have a guarantee about what's going to be there tomorrow. You can lose everything in a day. One of my pastor friends, as a matter of fact, the one who used to be my associate pastor in East Texas that you'll meet someday uh, sooner than later, um, he was there pastoring uh, when Katrina hit. And Katrina blasted his church, and a lot of the people who were in his church lost everything. And he said, Jeff, it was amazing. One day we had a church of X number of people. They all had homes. They all had jobs. They loved God. The next day they went home and there was no home. This hurricane hit and they had lost everything. And he said, I still haven't recovered as as a church. Haven't fully recovered from it. You know why? Because God doesn't guarantee a smooth ride. But he does guarantee his presence. And we'll be a whole lot better off when we accept the fact that sometimes we're going to have rough times. Sometimes we're going to have tough times. Sometimes we're going to deal with stuff that would put us to the mat if God were not with us. But I've got good news for you. Greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. And though he did not promise smooth times, he did promise his presence. So whether you're up or you're down, you're abased or you're abounding, God is there. Circumstances can and will radically change. Faith is not measured by your ability to acquire things. That is not the measure of faith. I'm going to say that again. Faith is not measured by your ability to acquire stuff. Faith is measured, I believe, by fruit. And part of the fruit of the Spirit is contentment. Contentment and a positive outlook on life because that's what God wants us to have no matter what is happening out here. Listen to the apostle again. I've learned. Can everybody say with me learned? I've learned to be satisfied with what I have. 
Don't have much, Lord, but I thank you for what I've got. Don't have everything that I wish I had, but thank God I don't have what I deserve to have. Thank you, Lord, for what I have. He said, I've learned to be satisfied with what I have. I know what it is to be in need and what it is to have more than enough. I've learned the secret so that anywhere, at any time, I am content, whether I am full or hungry, whatever I have, or whether I have too much or too little. I have the strength to face all conditions by the power that Christ gives me. I have the strength to face all all circumstances, bad or good, high or low, abased or abounding, I can face anything through the God who lives in me. And I can do more than that. I can be content. Sometimes in need. Here's the great apostle Paul. Sometimes in need. Sometimes more than enough. Full, hungry, too much, too little, all conditions. This is the journey. Are you experiencing contentment tonight? Do you thank God for what you have? Now, I believe if you can change it, change it. But if you can't change it, embrace it and say, Lord, I thank you for what I've got. Get the victory on the inside. Be content, the Bible says, with such things as you have. For he has said, I will never leave you and I will never forsake you. That's the promise of God. Now, the third thing that he says is this. I've, I've, I've learned contentment. I've learned contentment. And I believe the way he learned contentment was he avoided the contentment busters. And I want to share with you quickly a couple of contentment busters. Things that will attack your contentment and try to take it away from you. Here's the first one, comparison. I want you to say with me, comparison. Oh, that'll ruin your contentment. Comparing your life with others, what I have with what others have, what I possess with what others possess, the comparison game is a contentment buster. Boy, if you're comparing yourself with other people, you know what the Bible says about that? Listen to this. This is Paul talking. But they measuring themselves by themselves and comparing themselves among themselves are not wise. You know, me and Kathy, we'll get in that eight, nine-year-old Honda and we'll go driving down the road. And I have this happened to me so many times. We'll get at a red light and somebody in a brand new hot rod or something will pull up right next to us. And there's a look you get. Little vroom, vroom. Uh-huh. And here's, here's the message. I got more than you. I got more than you. I got more than you. But when you learn contentment, here's what you do. Mm-hmm. I got more than you. And you know why? Because I'm content with this nine-year-old Honda. I'm content. I'm serious. If you can practice contentment, you got something over on most people. Comparison. Measuring yourself by somebody else. They got a nicer house, nicer car, more money, nicer clothes. 
Listen, don't do that. God has a plan for your life. And you are where you are and what you are and who you are. And it is what it is. And you walk with God. And don't you dare compare yourself to somebody else. Not your looks with their looks. Not your talent with their talent. Not your money with their money. Because God loves you as much as them. You've got as much of his love as they do. And you are not less valuable to God than they are. Everybody is equal at the foot of the cross. Don't play the measuring game. Comparison is a contentment buster. Here's another one, the myth of the greener grass. If the grass is greener, somebody's got a higher water bill than you. It's true. But it's the myth of the greener grass. It's that belief. It's what really got the prodigal son. It's what nailed the prodigal son. Something got into his heart one day, and he said, it's better out there. It's better out there than in my father's house. There was a pull. There was a temptation. There was a lure that got a hold of him. He said, I want all of my inheritance now. I'm getting out of here because I feel, I hear, I sense the call of the greener grass. And we all know what happened there. There wasn't greener grass. It was an illusion. It was a myth. Because the best place for him was where God had him. And you know where the best place is for you? Where God's got you. If only I had that job, that's greener. If only I had that mate. If only I had that IQ. If only I had that talent. If only, if only, if only. And we live under the tyranny of if only when you're always thinking of the greener grass. But you know what? If you've given your life to the Lord and you're following him with all of your heart and you're doing the best you know how and you're walking in his truth and you've got peace in your soul, that's as green as it's going to get. Blossom where you're planted. And then if God brings change, God brings change. But in the meantime, blossom where you're planted. Are y'all hearing me tonight? You are a quiet bunch tonight. Now I'm going to tell you one more quick uh, um, contentment buster. And it's this one, thanklessness. Thanklessness. And, and, and thanklessness is a contentment buster. It shows we're really blind because the Bible says God's given us richly all things to enjoy. And if you'll practice thanksgiving, if you'll practice thanksgiving, think to thank, you'll find that contentment is not far behind. Just look at what you do have. Look at what you do have and say, Lord, I just thank you for what I do have. I thank you for that. Thank you for this. And you'll find that contentment will begin to sneak up on you. And you'll, you'll get out of this mode of, I've never got enough. It's never good enough. It's never bright enough, never strong enough, never rich enough, never luxurious enough, never whatever. Be thankful. Now, the last thing I want to say about contentment is tonight is, according to Paul, it flows from fellowship with Jesus. That's where contentment comes from. It flows from fellowship with Jesus. I can do all things. Can y'all say that with me? I can do all things. Through Christ who strengthens me. But what's the context? Strengthens me to be content. So when it looks like there's no way you can be content, he says, I can do all things. I can be content in every circumstance. 
if I lay hold of it and practice it and cultivate it, it's not going to come wrap you in a headlock and make you experience it. You're going to have to cultivate it. You're going to have to cultivate it. You know, I wish I could tell you I walked around content all the time. I have to fight it uh, from time to time. Now, I've got to tell you, I'm a happy guy. I wake up with the joy of the Lord. Um, I'm very, very happy. I, I'm, I feel blessed. I really do. I mean, I, I'm just being honest with you. I don't think you want somebody up here saying, I'll tell you, this Christianity is hell on earth. <laughs> I don't even know why we're here. No. (laughs) Christianity has not been tried and found wanting. It's been found difficult and not tried. I believe happiness comes from the closer you get to Jesus, the happier you are. And you can be about as happy as you want to be. Because the joy of the Lord is my strength. So I spend time with the Lord, and if I start getting blue or I start getting discontent, I head straight for that word, and I go off in seclusion. I isolate myself, not in a bad way, but in a good way. I get quiet. I go into silence, and I listen to him, and I draw near to him, and I read his word, and I meditate in his word, and I don't come out until peace rules my heart. I believe most Christians, or at least a lot of Christians, are not happy because they're not really walking with the Lord. They're saved, but they don't walk with the Lord. And I'm going to hold that thought for my apprenticeship series that I'm going to do somewhere around the first of the year. But contentment flows from fellowship with Jesus. The ability to face all that life throws at you with contentment and peace is supernatural. It's a gift of grace. That's why I think you ought to be careful what you say to somebody who's in a difficult situation. Don't say to them, I don't see how you stand it. If they're telling you I've got peace in the middle of the storm, let it be. Because it's supernatural grace. Amen. Let's stand together, can we? You know, I believe that spiritual lessons are learned in the everyday, every day of life. And you know when you can best learn contentment? You learn it in rush hour traffic. So you ought to come every Wednesday night. You, you learn it in the little irritations of everyday, everyday life. You've got a choice a hundred times a day to put on Jesus or to let, uh, let the world put you in the flesh. And so I want to encourage you, walk in contentment, learn it, practice it, cultivate it, make plans to grow in it. Think to thank, be thankful for what you have, draw near to him, and he'll draw near to you. You practice that contentment. Father, we just thank you for contentment. It's supernatural, it comes from you. It does not come from us. It must be cultivated. We must lay hold of it in faith and make it part of our makeup. But we thank you, Lord, that when we reach out to you, there is grace amazing. 
strength beyond ourselves to experience satisfaction with imperfect life. And we thank you for it, Lord, in Jesus' name. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord.